Welcome, players, to Adapt Table, uh, the the board game podcast about board games that used to be other things, but then became board games in, in the form of adaptation. Welcome. the first episode we'll work out that fights later yeah we, uh, I well, i'm hosts. sure we'll have all kinds of amazing little uh, quips and stuff and catchphrases that people will come to know us by but for now this is adaptable please enjoy it let's get started we, we're gonna we're gonna get to the quips i promise uh i am one of your co-hosts i'm brock wilbur i'm the other co-host i'm matthew monagle brock what do you do matthew what so oh, people can you, listen? oh we oh we did it at the same time that's Ma- such good co-hosting nice Nice. Uh, hi, I am uh, Brock Wilbur. I am uh, a uh, writer and video games type person and stand-up comedian. I live in Kansas City with my wife and three cats for some reason. Matthew, what do you do? So I am a film and television critic. I write for the Austin Chronicle, Film School Rejects, and a couple other of publications based out of Austin, Texas, where I live with my wife and our puppy, who is downstairs, absolutely furious at me for not giving her every second of my attention to do a podcast i know it's very rude i'll be downstairs in a bit um but yeah you you're you're probably best known for being the world's biggest fan of the possession of emily rose is that the one uh i believe this one is hannah grace it, the possession oh is it like a whole series <laughs> the possession of hannah grace is a movie <laughs> that's all that's all i'm gonna say i i hope that the, even though this will come out like a day or two after we record it that the world has already forgotten uh, just another disposable piece of shit uh, horror film. If you do want to know what I am the world's biggest fan of, please go seek out The Black Coat's Daughter. That is my personal brand on Twitter. Damn, I love that movie. I th- that might have been where we got started. Uh, we, we also, uh, like a year or two ago, had like the exact same take on a number of things in a row uh, and a couple of pieces that said similar things. And people were just like, I think you two should know each other. And here we are uh, now with a, a Twitter joke that kind of went too far in that um, you had been wanting to do uh, a podcast or something about movies and TV shows that are adapted into board games. And I was similarly working on something for video games adapted to board games. Where, where did your idea come from and why were you excited about it? Gosh, Brock, what an interesting question. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, you're absolutely right. I had, I had reached out to you because I had been um, a few years ago when I was living in New York City, I'd kind of come to realize that there was this whole world of tabletop games, which allowed me to do kind of the, the fun interactive gaming stuff that I was used to from being, you know, a typical nineties kid who grew up in video games. But there, there was this world of stuff that allowed you to not only be physically present and play with people on the same table, but sort of were conducive to, you know, the lifestyle of people as we slow down and get into our thirties were conducive for me to continue to uh, have nights where I could spend time with some of my friends who may have, kids or families or other obligations. And more importantly, for the purposes of this podcast, we're plugged in and and doing really interesting things with some of the major television and movie licenses out there. So I had kind of this revelation that there was this whole world of games that I, you know, previously had sort of relegated like most beginners to the, you know, your monopolies and your clues. And as the more I dove into it, the more fascinating I thought it was. And I thought, you know, I'm a professional critic. I'm used to talking about things in terms of visual storytelling and narrative. It seemed like a natural opportunity to say, how does this translate to an interactive uh, medium as well? My wife and I in the last year or so have become huge board game people, mostly because uh, I realized that everyone in my life 
is making at least one game all of a sudden. Uh, at uh, On Mother's Day last year, uh, my brother-in-law showed up with three different board game prototypes he had. I was like, I didn't even know you played board games. Like, it's it's sort of a thing that everyone suddenly loves around me. And my wife uh, got flown out to Wizards of the Coast where she played her first uh, D&D game of all time with the people that make D&D. There's a, there's a high bar here uh, for what this is. And so... As I've been getting more and more into board games, I was noticing that there are a lot of board games that are spinoffs of video games. And whereas your your form of adaptation that excited you was the translation of the visual medium, I was like, but this is already a gamified commodity. Mm-hmm. How do you gamify it further? Or, or I, I guess in my head, I was like, video games are an advancement of the board game thing. I, I'm recognizing now more and more as I get into it, like, of course, they're two different kinds of art and two different kinds of thing. And there's so much to find and love about both of them. Uh, but there is something wildly bizarre to me about, especially some of the very indie video games that we, we might get to later that have really excellent board game translations. And it's, it's a completely different thing. And you're like, who, whose idea was it that this should exist in this medium as well? Uh, and I guess that's part of what we're, we're digging into on this show. We're just, uh, this is the very, this is perhaps the most, 30s white guy podcast imaginable a couple of critics getting into board games and having to talk about them i'm excited to be here yeah and i think if we do this right brock i feel like we'll also tap into sort of the overall movement um you know you always read these bloomberg and forbes articles about why millennials are moving more towards analog things they're moving away from mp3s and towards vinyl you know cassette tapes are popular again now and and i think you know if we're smart and i hope that we are we might be able to talk a little bit about where this fits into all of that and why people are looking for more tangible physical things that they can actually have and possess and enjoy and pass along to the next generation of people they make interested in these types of franchises you were you were saying that and my eyes passed from my vinyl records to my cassettes to my board game collection i was like oh shit he's right He's absolutely right. Oh, no. Well, thankfully, thankfully, you know, we did a little bit of market research before we started this. So easy, easy talking (laughs) points out of the gate. Fantastic. So uh, we're going to start with one today, which happened to be one that we both had in our collection. uh, And it is the Fallout board game. Uh, and uh, I was assigned to give you the background information on what this is because it's based on a video game. Uh, so here's what Fallout is. Uh, in 1997, uh, the Interplay uh, company uh, made a, a role-playing game uh, that's set in the post-apocalypse, uh, and it's a very good game, and there's been a whole series of them, and basically each each game in the series, and this is not an adaptation of one game, this is an adaptation sort of of the series, kind of mostly for right now of of games three and four, but there's a lot out there. Anyway, the way that these games normally work is that uh, you're somebody that's been living in a vault, and vaults are uh, things under the ground where people were hiding from nuclear fallout, and so you're one of the survivors, and then you're you're sent out into the wasteland to save your vault uh, for some reason, and uh, you get out there, and it's everything that you might expect to be in your traditional post-apocalypse. You have ghoulish mutants you have giant insects you have people that have been surviving out there uh, that have made up various clans and are raiders of things Uh, you have robots run amok and a big part of the game is is mostly digging through garbage uh, like a like a raccoon Uh, it's a lot of uh, searching absolutely every square inch 
of a desolate wasteland to find bottle caps that are used as currency, uh, to find garbage that you can maybe turn into scrap, that you can maybe turn into a slightly better gun. Uh, it is it is a lot about survival, but it is also a series that is known for having uh, a bit of a of a of a wacky side to it. It's it's very bleak, and then there's very funny parts to it, and that's a difficult balancing act that uh, some of the games do better. Uh, than others of the game, and uh, if you're if you're hearing the the word Fallout recently, um, it might be because Fallout just released what is probably the worst game in the series, uh, like ever, uh, because it's a it's an online multiplayer game where you have to meet up with other people and do stuff. And uh, the Fallout series as a whole, and we'll we'll get into this in the board game adaptation, is a uh, is a solitary experience. It is about being alone and doing alone things. Uh, and, uh, this board game tries to adapt that, uh, into something that is both a game that you can play by yourself or with other people. And I think it is wildly successful at that. So that is the background story on what we are adapting today. So Brock, before we talk about the board game specifically, tell me a little bit about your experiences with, and you know, you pick whichever fallout game means the most to you. And talk about like what hooked you personally to the franchise and what sort of made you think like, oh, crap, this is something that I want to follow from its various iterations and mediums. Uh, Fallout 3, uh, which came out on the Xbox 360, God, a decade ago now, uh, is is one of the only games like of all time that I've sunk like 200 hours into and like got done playing and then just restarted with a different character to go do things differently. Uh, it is a series that gives you just a wild amount of control over things. Uh, and and that goes from how your character exists and how it, it develops, with, but also to like how your, your choices interact with the environment and interact with other people and affect things. Uh, it's It does a big, giant, beautiful world, and it does also gameplay feedback loops that are wildly exciting. And then it's even kind of fun to dive into what is basically... 10 layer deep Excel spreadsheets of just uh, checking out stuff. And it is always very funny to me because there is a companion series to Fallout uh, made made by some of the same people called Oblivion, which is basically this, but for like magic and dragons and stuff. And it is almost identical to Fallout in terms of like how it plays. And you're also out there just looking for a bunch of junk, but in a magic world. And I have no interest in that whatsoever. I did, I've, I, I, I've played one hour of Skyrim total in my life. I'm like, nope, don't care about magic wands, but I do love futury retro laser guns. That's, that's give me those, give me them laser guns. Uh, it's, it's set in a very, uh, your post-apocalypse is very based on the idea that, that everything went bad in sort of a Jetsons retro futurist 1950s sort of thing. So the stuff that's been laid waste to and is still around has a, a very bizarre style to it, but it is also set in all these real world places. So uh, the third game is set in Washington, D.C., uh, and you navigate that world using metro stations and, and, and visiting different real world locations. Uh, and it is a game that I have played so much that now I kind of use it to navigate Washington, D.C. when I'm there. And I'm like, this <laughs> is weird. It is weird that I have this knowledge base from being in this thing. But I, I'm not going to get that over in Magic World now, am I? Uh, so uh, that is also, it is also one of the games that, uh, like, uh, when my when my wife and I first started dating, 
she was getting back into games after having not played anything in like 10, 12 years. Uh, and she went from playing some very basic like 2D platformers to one day I came home and she just fired up Fallout 3, which is a gigantic leap in the skill sets required to do that sort of thing. And she was like five or six hours into it and was already doing things that I was just like, this is insane. And and she was captured by that world too. And I, I think that there is just something just incredibly compelling about the series and how it engages with you. But it is also traditionally this very singular, like lonely experience. And that is part of the charm. Yeah, I, coming from maybe more the the um, film mindset for me, you know, I started playing just like you did. Uh, Fallout 3 was the game that hooked me. I played most of the subsequent iterations of it. I played New Vegas. I played Fallout 4. I have not played 76 because their views have not been super strong. But I, let's be honest, I probably will at some point. And, you know, what what's interesting, and, and you really you hit the nail on the head with a lot of that, it's, it's this idea that they've created this world that is sort of the future as viewed through 1950s futurism, which means it's really like, you know, bubbly and happy and suburban, even though everything has been laid to waste and there are all these artifacts of what the future could have been. I personally am a sucker for any game that has a morality system because I can only ever play as the most lawful good character ever. So for me, the Fallout franchise is primarily an opportunity to wander to all these small towns and play the Wasteland Messiah save them, make complicated moral decisions, and you know everybody ends up loving me at the very end. I don't know what that says about me, that that's the reason that I play this video game, but uh, apparently I need more adoration at home. But it's a really, it's just a cool, like the music is incredible, the aesthetic is really neat, and it's this franchise that really triggered my imagination. And it does have, you know, if you're well-versed in post-apocalyptic cinema from Night of the Living Dead to a boy and his dog to pretty much anything set after, especially anything set after the bomb goes off. It borrows so heavily from every franchise, from every piece of fiction out there and creates this mishmash of post-apocalyptic fiction that's all its own. The, uh, it, you know, you could make an argument probably, and I think other people would say this too, that the franchise has maybe started to overstay its welcome a little bit, that what was fresh and interesting 10 years ago is now sort of, by numbers and wrote um, for the most recent versions of this, but you know, I, I think the, I think the bigger criticism that I, that sticks with me about it is that um, it is moving in a direction that is it's not exactly stale, but it is moving towards this gamified thing that gets away from the politics of what it once did. the The opening sequence in the very first Fallout game shows Americans annexing Canada and shooting Canadians in the head to take their like possessions. And it's all like smiling, waving propaganda film. And it's like, it's, it's a lot about, um, you know, should, should humans be allowed to survive the apocalypse? Like if we fuck up this bad, do we deserve anything? And like, what does that look like? And like, what is, what does humanity become? And now at the point that we're at with fallout 76, it's a lot of fun for you to launch a nuke at your friend's camp. And it's just like, I don't know what, what happened in the middle there. The, the, the nuke, the pro nuke stance that, that the, the game has seems really weird uh, considering where it started. Mm. Yeah. That's, um, that's probably a very good point too. I suppose for, <laughs> for, for me, yeah, the, a lot of, especially if you play some of the ones that 
Um, you know, there's ex- expansions and stuff, uh, downloadable content for Fallout 3 that gets into sort of that, like the, the uh, as somebody that grew up in Alaska, the war in Anchorage against the Chinese was always one of my favorite things about Fallout. But it's just as it's, you It's bizarre. You yeah. It's bizarre chances on bizarre things. And, and my wife loves that one, too. <laughs> But yeah, so that's that's to me like that's the the video game. The video game has historically been a lot of fun and, and been really pretty. And you know, I if if I hadn't lived in New York when um, Fallout Four came out, I probably would have actually managed to go to a Target or a Walmart wherever it was that was doing some of those special packs. I'd probably have some Nuka Cola in my fridge right now. <laughs> I've you know I've historically drank the Kool Aid on this franchise about as hard as you can, which is why as soon as they released a board game, I was like, I'm not even going to look at reviews. I'm not even going to do my normal analysis of whether this is a good buy or not i'm just gonna buy it and even if i don't like it it's a collectible that's that that was my process here too and i'm just really delighted at how that turned out (laughs) so let's um let's talk a little bit about the board game now then um you know i we should we should stay right from the start here that there is uh another fallout board game uh, made by um, modifius entertainment that's like a a miniatures uh expandable battle system thing that looks way more complicated and has way more parts. That is not this one. We are talking about uh, fantasy flight games, fallout board game. Yeah. And, and there's a, a general rule of thumb as this podcast continues, we're always going to err on the side. I think of the ones, the ones that seem a little bit more complicated, the ones that seem a little bit more enriching um, for the world yeah. that we're playing <laughs> in. So, so yeah, if you ever wonder like, Oh, is this like the card collecting game where you flip over cards with the pit boy on it? Or is this the, the one with mid, like complicated hexagon tiles and like a 500 page rule book? It's like, it's the latter I'm talking about the complicated one. This is not a fallout operation. No. Oh God. That would be fun though. Um, it, it, it is you operate, you of course, of course operate on, on vault boy, but I, I clicked on that when I was prepping for this and I saw so many other, uh, operation branded games and I, i'm reminded of my new all-time favorite one which is the uh star wars operation which you operate on bb8 and you play as and you're supposed to be ray fixing bb8 but the uh the picture on the cover has ray caressing bb8 and giving bb8 this look like she is going to eat him uh it is the weirdest thing it is like she just really has this strong desire to cut open bb8 and get it what's inside there and you have, I mean, whoever made it uh just made the the weirdest possible cash grab art you've ever seen congratulations on star wars slash fic for apparently you know finding its way into canon in the form of the operation adaptation this is closer to vor it's so weird <laughs> anyway, well, fallout Fallout, Fallout. Um, so for the, the for the purpose of this, then um, kind of the all since you did the description of the game I'll, or the original game, I'll I'll talk a little bit about the mechanics for this. So Fallout is a board game, um, a miniatures board game, where the main goal is basically to explore the wasteland, much like the video game itself, to collect junk, to upgrade your material, and to become kind of the biggest and baddest person um, on the wasteland while doing your best to follow through a main storyline component. So the the actual the physical components of the game are pretty neat. You're given a bunch of miniatures for the monsters and stuff that you can fight, a bunch of cards to represent who's out there. You are assembling the board randomly every time you play through a series of hexagon tiles that um, start as undiscovered territory, and then you flip them over as you go through the map in order to discover them. 
There's also a main kind of a, a um, the big, I think, selling point of Fallout for fans of the franchise is that there is a progressive storyline component where you have a deck of about 150 cards. And as you you start out with one or two basic quests, depending on the overall scenario that you pick, as you progress through those quests, it will say, great, pull card 78 out of the deck and put it in your local deck. And then that local deck becomes how you navigate the world, how you have encounters in the wasteland or, or how you have encounters in townships. And then as you're doing all of this, as you're, you know, you're running into raiders and shooting them in the head and upgrading your special abilities and upgrading your health and trying to avoid getting radiation, there is a main storyline that you're trying to stick to where there are two factions on the board. And depending on the scenario, it might be the Enclave or it might be Power Soldiers, it might be Synths or it might be the Institute if you played Fallout 4 that are vying for faction over the wasteland as a whole. And it's kind of your job to navigate that while doing your own thing and uh, sort of dictate who wins and which how they win in a way that's most advantageous for you. So if you're playing and it's great that the synths win, then kind of your endgame goal over time will probably be to help them gain influence in the world. Or if you side with the Institute and you don't think that synths are real people because robots will kill us all, don't give them the credit, then maybe you'll work with the Institute and have them... Uh, recapture and retrain some of the synths that they've got. So they're, much like Fallout the video games, there's sort of a, uh, a a main kind of campaign mode, but then there's also a very robust smaller minigame thing where you can have one-off encounters in towns, you can have branching storylines that will have you do interesting things that don't have anything to do with the main storyline. Um, you can become beloved or you can become hated in different towns. You can cause people to blow up or die. You know, you are sort of this unchecked force of morality running through the wasteland in a power armor suit or in a you know with a pip-boy on your arm and the board game i think does a really good job of kind of recreating some of the more uh, interesting and unique moments of the game but we'll get into that now uh first of all did i miss anything is that how you describe fallout the board game that that was that was an incredible summary uh, and 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 maybe that is maybe that is the the thing to say about this game is that um it takes the most complicated thing imaginable and manages to summarize it in a way that doesn't lose anything. Like everything that you just said was just there. And it sounds like a bunch of very complicated stuff. It's all just here in a very small, all things considered board game. And just like you summarizing it there, it's like, well, if I tried to explain that in fallout three, that's like an hour of me talking. Uh, mm -hmm. And somehow this game does it just like you just did it in your summary. <laughs> yeah. On the grand scale of things, I mean, uh, board game, Geek, which is a website that if you're part of the board game community, you already know. If you don't, uh, it's a great kind of way to learn more about games you might be interested in. But believe it or not, for everything I've just described, it's actually pretty much on the lighter side of what they consider the complexity and scale. They have their own metric uh, called weight for games that says, you know, how hard is this to pick up and play? How complicated is this? How many pieces are there? And it's sort of like middle, lighter end of the pack. So while that sounds like a lot, you actually, if you sit down and plow through the rules in about 30 minutes and you get a, you know, a group of people or by yourself, you can start to start to figure it out and start to speed up as you play. Um, and it doesn't, it's not as complicated as all of that makes it sound out. At the end of the day, you're basically just moving and rolling dice just in a more fun and interesting way. So talk to me, talk to me about um, your play. I'll, I'll go in a minute, but Brock, tell me about your playthroughs. Like when you sat down to play this, what was the size of your group? Who did you play with? What were some of the things that stood out when you played? Uh, started with the, the single player because I was, I, I have not played uh, amongst the stuff that I've gotten into real hard in the last year. 
I've not played anything that is nearly of this scale that was like, hey, we got a, there's a one player version of this. And I was like, tell me more about how that works. Because uh, in my head, I couldn't see it. And I was like, okay, this is this is great. And also, I wish more games had that sort of thing just so uh, I could go into nights that I'm bringing a game over to somebody's house and actually know how to play it if I hadn't played it with the group before. Um, I was I was immediately taken in by... First, I'll just air like a frustration that I have about, about complicated board games in general as a, a newbie here. So many of these games have so many pieces that come in in packaging or, or or that you have to pop out of something. And it's just like, why don't you just put them in little plastic bags? Because then there's no little plastic bags enclosed and you need plastic bags of different sizes and so many of them to keep pieces separate. I'm just like, well, now I just have a bunch of stuff here and I need to go to the store to buy tiny cocaine bags for the, these special pieces and things like that. I was just like, why is this? Why won't anybody pack things that way? Anyway got into first game was like this is sort of incredible and and as aforementioned like this is um i think it's it's most impressive because i as i'm digging into licensed games and starting to take notes on some of these adaptations and things there's games that uh do a lot of stuff that are they're thematically tied to the the game that they're you know, supposed to be about the the other one is also uh, that I have is from Bethesda and I will we'll get to it someday, but it's uh, their Doom board game that they did like two years ago. Uh, and it is a really fun, interesting game. It does not replicate the feeling of being in Doom. Uh, it is it is an interesting, complicated game and there are demons in it. This game replicates the feeling of being in Fallout. I'm looking at garbage uh, there's, there's things that happen when I'm successful and when I'm unsuccessful. And I think that, that for me and everyone else, it, it was just sort of a surprise of how simple this all becomes because it is 18 spaces on a board, uh, and there's only three dice and you have sort of this little management card in front of you that tracks your health and, and a couple of other things. And then you have some cards and that's it. It seems like this game based on the the complicated like euro games that I've been playing with other friends it should have a thousand pieces it should have four different boards somehow everything reduces in this way and I think we were all just surprised by that and also how quickly like you mentioned that you can get in and uh it has that thing that I'm finding to be the magic board game quality which is you can get it pretty fast and then there's just a lot of questions and excitement about what comes next or what can happen in your next game if you do things differently. Uh, so that and that, that propels you to go forward. The other thing about my game was that um, it was only it wasn't until my third or fourth round through with with friends on this that I realized um, we, one of the things about the game is that you're you're all trying to win. No one is against each other. Uh, you can sort of you can trade items with other people. Uh, and, and, uh, this, this all works towards, you get various points for accomplishing the quests that you're doing and the tension of this game, which I think might also be the weakest part of it, uh, is that when the game ends, you don't really know how many points the other people have until you all just sort of reveal it. And that's how you find out the winner, which is, is a weird thing, uh, because you don't know who's ahead at any point, but it is still ostensibly cooperative. And it wasn't until... Uh, later on in the night and a few drinks in that you realize, oh, uh, when somebody else is in trouble, I can just not help them. 
I can just not uh, not go try to be a pal or, or or help them through that thing. And in that way, you you can sabotage other people. It's like, oh, uh, once once a little of that uh, antagonism comes out of you, it opens up some things. And it, or at the very least, it opens up the, the possibility like, what if my friends aren't going to come to my aid on this? Uh, and that is uh, that is an interesting, fun thing. How did your games go? <laughs> Yeah, so I've played this now um, with three different group sizes. I played a couple of versions of this solo, um, which I think, and I, I think this is what you'll see if you do some digging online. I think that's sort of the preferred. Like, this game is ostensibly one to four. I think it's really, it shines as a solo player game, which is sort of an interesting thing to see from a board game like this. But I played it with myself. I played it um, with one other person. I played it with groups of three. And you're you're right. It is it is a multiplayer game. It is supposed to be, or it is sort of a competitive game in that one person hypothetically will have the most points at the end. Um, we'll talk about this in a minute. I actually have a lot of problems with the end game, and I fantastic. I have found more often than not that um, nobody wins. It's a game where you end and you're like nobody hit the point threshold. Game over. No one won. So. We'll talk about how the ending of that actually works, but oh, we didn't have any of those. That's so interesting. Okay, oh, we, I didn't we, even know that. Okay, yeah, we'll get we, to it. <laughs> we had a ton of those, um, but it is you know you start off in one territory. Uh, two of the tiles, typically depending on the scenario, two tiles are flipped up with kind of like end game goals. They're halfway across the board, so you have to you know you have to spend at least X amount of turns in order to get to those spaces, and from there you're kind of playing your own mini game for the most part you know i might choose to go to one place because there's one quest on the board that i'm interested in you know the person i'm playing with might choose to go to another one the actual like combative the part of the game where you make decisions that negatively impact another character are pretty minimal there's a handful of cards a handful of scenarios you might flip over that say oh you know send a creature after x or like maybe steal something from player y but for the most part, you know, it's you and a couple other people that are trying to build their best post-apocalyptic machine in the shape of their survivor. And that is, you know, for some people, that's a bad thing because you want the actual like player versus player competitive nature. But to me, that was a decision they made that actually really worked with the Fallout universe to be able to say like, all right, you're going to run into people along the way. Like they're doing their own thing. They're having encounters. They're visiting towns and stuff. And like what they do is not necessarily going to super impact what you do in your play uh, because, you know, you're just having adventures and you're kind of observing each other on these adventures. So and and that makes this game a lot calmer than what I expected when I mm -hmm. opened the box. I was like, OK, well, each each of the three of us will start at, at a different corner of the map and then we'll all just run at each other as fast as we can and shoot. And then that's the game, I assume. No, it is. It is this thing, which also weirdly uh fallout 76 the new multiplayer thing it, it it isn't about like you know really working with other people you sort of go on your own quests in this way and then when you're in the same spaces you can all work towards something it is weird that this game is sort of an introductory course to like how that gameplay does work or could have worked better uh, it is weird to see the board game do it better <laughs> Yeah, and really the most the most frustrating element of the competition in this game is when like you are not rolling well. And this happened to me a couple of times. I played this game with my brother over Thanksgiving break, um, just a two-player game, and he is a ridiculously lucky roller. He historically always has been. And so, you know, it's we're looking at the board and there's my ghoul who is down to like two different ticks because I can't fight off an irradiated mosquito. 
And meanwhile, he's wandering through the wasteland with, you know, armfuls of just the most high-end, delightful guns and weapons and armor and material that you can find. And that is, I think, where the game, you know, if you're playing and you, you feel like you're falling behind, if the other person is leveling faster and getting more cool stuff, you know, that is kind of a tension and it might, you know, be frustrating for you. But it doesn't, again, it doesn't really super matter in the overall game because you can play the entire game and you can collect as much material as you want and you can be the biggest baddest gunslinger in the wasteland but it is the victory points the cards that you have that give you victory points that determine who actually wins so you can have one health and just like a limp noodle as your weapon but if you have more victory points it doesn't matter what the other person does maybe they're the maybe they're the mayor of everything like maybe they have managed to take over <laughs> megaton and like megaton just follows these citizens of megaton follow them around carrying them up on their shoulders and like you're just some guy that's banging two rocks together on a corner of the map but if you collected the right victory point cards if you have the right combination of stuff in your hand you might still win so much like the video game series there is sort of this tension between do i try and do the main storyline do i kind of focus on what the game is pushing me towards in terms of advancing the narrative? Or am I just going to go into this corner of my sandbox? Am I going to play as hard as I can until either I lose or get bored? And that's my fallout experience. And, and to, to that point in the video game, uh, usually in all video games, I suppose uh, of this style, what encourages you to engage in those side quests is that those side quests allow you to, to get new cool things and to beef up your stats and uh, that, that those side adventures are both interesting, but also help you improve, making you stronger for the main game. And when the side quests don't result in more victory points or making you better at this thing, it is difficult to tell which way you're supposed to go. <laughs> yeah. And the side quests do kind of have their own satisfaction too, though, because all the quests you encounter, the way the game you know, tries to to pull in some of the the morality systems of his, you know, the historical Fallout franchise is you're given a card with a scenario and then you're given one of two options um, or in some cases one of three or more options and you basically choose how you want to proceed. So you might, you know, you might go to a wasteland icon that allows you to have a wasteland encounter and so you draw a card and it says like you hear a rustling noise in the cave ahead. Do you like venture further into the cave do you start shooting do you run away and based on the choice that you make it's going to have a different outcome and that card will either you know kick off a series of new quests that get pulled into your smaller deck or maybe it just gets recycled or maybe even gets thrown away maybe it's a one-time encounter so no matter how you're doing in terms of the overall game there is always fallout does a really good job of setting a little bit of the hook to be like you know, I don't, I haven't seen all the cards in this deck yet. Like, I kind of want to see, <laughs> especially if you know, especially if you just had an encounter that said, pull cards 75 and 76 out of the deck and shuffle them into your quest deck. Now you're like, oh, I want to know what those cards are. So I'm going to go like, I have no reason in the world to continue to be in this space, but I'm just going to camp on here and like keep questing to try and get those cards to the top because I kind of want to see what's going to happen. That is, yes, that is such a, and, and you've also brought in the fact that there's, I, I've yet to play a game that is uh, like this that has so many options for what you can do in a turn. Uh, everything from from just camping to to raise raise your stats and do, and do stuff to trying to have encounters to there, it, it it makes sense very quickly why you only need uh, eighteen spaces on the board because you can do a hundred things on every space. Yeah, and you, you know the 
combat in this game, I think we haven't really talked about that either, but like the combat in right. this game is, is really fun too. It has the thing that, it, um, you know, and I don't think myself or Brock would pass ourselves off as board game experts, but you know, it has the mechanic that I think you see a little bit more now where you have uh, kind of like the memoir 44 mechanic where you have dice that represent multiple actions. And so you roll one set of dice, but it resolves both sides of combat for you. So you are rolling a set of dice with uh, a number of, with, you know, your, your VATS system. It's the replacement of the video game VAT system, which is sort of their, their late nineties answer to bullet time. Um, <laughs> but you are, you know, you're rolling dice that basically determine you know, if you hit your enemy, but the same dice also determine whether or not your enemy hits you. So if you are somebody that likes rolling dice, it's a very satisfactory experience, especially if you have some weapons and some armor that allows you to nullify or add hits to your roll. Uh, if you're somebody that doesn't like dice, if you feel like that's just one element of chance too many in any game mechanic, like maybe that will put you off a little bit. But it is sort of fun to like have somebody flip over a card and read you the different scenarios, and you're like, okay, I think I'll, you know, I think I'll try and combat. And they're like, oh, okay, well they're gonna fight this guy. They have no weapons. They have no armor. So great, like yes, yeah, uh, you you get to encounter a deathclaw. Deathclaw runs out of the hills and runs right at you. What are you gonna do? <laughs> Because you do know. I have experienced that, yes. (laughs) You do know, like even going in, you you do have a sense. Combat isn't entirely random. You know, based on the weapons and stuff you have, how likely you are to be able to fight something at a given level. So, you know, if you are in a part of the territory and the the board is pretty much divided in half in terms of like safer zones and more dangerous zones. If you start crossing over into some of the more dangerous zones and you see, you know, an icon that means that a monster is headed your way, like you can kind of guess whether or not, like you do in Fallout, if that's something you want to do. Like you see that creature on the horizon, it hasn't, you know, you haven't wandered into their uh, zone of perception yet. You can be like, no, no, I, that's no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it is, it is just incredible, like how much of this they reduce. And, and, and like you said, it's three dice that take the place of the VAT system. And, and each each one of these things, as I was playing by myself, I was like, how'd they get that in here too? Uh, it's it's so much and it's so streamlined. And it's just such a, a well-put-together game. I think the, the frustration I have is that there's only uh, really uh, four situations included in the base game. And obviously you can replay them with other people and, and with the, the cards, there's a lot going on. But uh, it's very clearly set up for by the expansion packs like you're you're gonna if you play this more than once or twice with people you're probably gonna want to do that <laughs> is this where i can talk about the ending a little bit and why it frustrated oh me? yes please okay excellent all right so let's talk about the fallout ending um this the first time i sat down you know anytime you sit down with a board game regardless of how complicated it is usually somebody has to run point that's Typically me, I'm the person that learns the rules inside and out and sits with the rules manual to my left. And as we go, people are like, can I do this? I'm like, that's a great question. Can you do that? (laughs) Um, And so we were playing through and we got to a point where, you know, we were, you know, my two friends and I were collecting stuff. We had kind of gotten to the point where we had some cool abilities for our characters. We knew we could survive combat. We knew we could do some other things. We weren't really paying attention to the victory points at all. And then we flipped over a card and the game ended um, because, you know, to do different things in the storyline, there, there are two ways the game is going to end. Either you're going to progress. Um, there's basically, let me back that up one quick. So the way that the way that the game progresses, sort of like its built in clock is that faction system where there are three different spaces for two different factions to advance. And if you whichever one gets to the final space, the moment they get to that space, 
the game ends. One faction wins or one faction doesn't. And to ensure that you're kind of progressing that, some of the content in the game, some of the quests that you'll do are um, determined by whether or not you advance these things. So if you want to do main storyline quests and get really cool loot, you know, you are going to advance one or the other factions, typically of your choosing. Now, if you don't do that, if you try and avoid the main storyline, or if you're like me and you have about 400 hours of Fallout video game series played <laughs> and probably like one completion um, to your name, like that is also the game is not going to let you just coast forever. The, you, you cycle <laughs> through a deck of cards that sort of uh, allows you, at the end of each turn, you use a deck of cards to determine what kind of uh, creatures activate and what kind of encounters you're going to have across the map. But this also... You know, every time you shuffle that deck, you move everybody forward or one faction forward on the track. So there is this kind of inevitable progression of the game storyline. But the two, to me, I felt that the two sides of this game, the explore the wasteland, do your own thing and, you know, have fun by yourself versus the main storyline things are so at odds with each other. It's so difficult for you to simultaneously say, all right, I am going to you know, having go to go to different wasteland places and have adventures and go to towns and try and recruit companions and take a lot of naps and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, become the best possible wastelander I can be. Or I'm going to, you know, do a mad dash to try and finish this storyline thing. And if you don't, because most of them require you to get all the way across the map to finish it, then you basically get into this weird card counting scenario where you're playing the game and you're playing the game, you're playing the game and you're like, oh, there's like three card. Oh, shit. We're like three turns away from this game being over oh okay uh well all right how do i how do i pick up victory like where's a victory point like i need this in, in order to win so my experience with it and it was it, it was the same in the two player it was the same in the three player and it even happened to me on a one player is you don't really have a sense of escalation or build to the end game of fallout you reach a point probably about 90 percent of the way through where you suddenly become aware of the fact that the game is close to ending and then you kind of like everything you've been doing before you hit stop and you start to like accumulate different ways of getting victory points. But my, I think my biggest frustration with Fallout as a board game is basically, you know, there isn't this build to it. Like when you play Fallout 3, you know, you know, like you can see the end of the game on the horizon. You know that you're building towards this grand um, collision of different forces and different factions and elements of the game that are going to really determine who controls the wasteland for the foreseeable future. And in the Fallout board game, it's just sort of like, you know, I... I, there's literally a point where I was like, wait, we have two cards left. Oh, okay, I'm here. I desperately need to be here. I don't think I'm going to win. You need a minimum of six victory points or seven victory points or whatever it is. The first two, six or seven victory points, depending on the number of players won. The game ended and, you know, my friends and I looked at each other and we're like, did you get six? I, I didn't. I didn't get, you didn't get six? Okay, all right. I, I guess we're done. Everybody lost. Thank you for your three hours. <laughs> I... See, I, this is where we differ because I didn't have any of the situations where no one won. But I I also did sort of enjoy, I, I do know that, that card counting situation where you're like, oh, th this is this is near the end. Uh, and uh, I, I kind of enjoyed that. But that was because I think we'd all played in such a way that uh, no one was trying to be, no one was adopting your play style of trying to be the, the best wastelander of all time. Uh, everyone was, I think, a little more aware of what was happening. Otherwise, we wouldn't have, you know, not hit the situation you ran into. And even with that, uh, some of us were, were really impressed by how how much character progression happens. Like, you know, you can't you, you and I are the sort of completionists, I assume, that like 
by the end of your Fallout game, every single one of your stats is at the max and things like that because you mm-hmm. found every collectible and done the sort of thing. Obviously, you can't do that in a three-hour board game, but it does uh, do sort of like a, a speedy version of that where I got done. I was like, huh, like this character I had went through a lot. Like they had some life experiences and they 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 learned some things and they've got some scars. And I'm, I'm kind of impressed on uh, once again that it's just this scaled down version that keeps everything about that. So yes, but I think we do absolutely agree. Uh, in game is not great. Yeah. And you, you mentioned completionist. That's definitely me. I mean, I'm the guy that figured out that you can get the Chinese power suit at the end of the Anchorage add on. And then like, just nobody will ever hit you again. You can play music standing two feet away from somebody, you know, and be so stealthed out that like, they can't hear your music that you're playing um, or they can't see you when you're standing right next to them. So like that degree of finessing and open world, you know, completionist is not something that I take to me with every game, but I historically have in the Fallout franchise. I think I have something like 90 hours in Fallout 4 gameplay, and I'm probably about 20% of the way through the main storyline. Unlike your wife, my wife hates that and wishes I would play games that have an actual story. I'm sorry, Andrea, I can't. There are still towns to explore, but... You know, my, the... my, my wife's big thing that threw me was when I when she started playing, I too uh, am am the, the savior of the wasteland, and I I I don't know why I I in so many other games I go for like being the bad guy, and in Fallout I never can, and I think it's because I want everyone to be my friend, and it hurts my feelings when I go to a new town and somebody is mean to me. But my wife uh, takes every situation, uh, situation by situation. So she went to that thing at the top corner of the map in Fallout 3 that's like a town, like the the town of Bob or whatever, which it's just like this yes. guy and his wives, uh, and he can send you on quests or whatever. And she was just like, oh, he's got these women trapped, and in the middle of him talking, just shot him in the face. And I was like, no, he was supposed to give you quests. And she's like, but he's a bad guy. And I was like, so you're going to be playing this different than me. I'm going to stop telling you what to do. <laughs> I mean, A, I can't fault her for her approach to that particular situation. But yeah, B, I mean, part of it, part of it is the morality thing. I mean, you know, if you've seen John Mulaney's special, um, his most recent special, the line that I end up using a lot to describe how Andrea talks about me is I'm the guy that walks down the street running for the mayor of nothing. I need everybody to like me so much. And that's how my wife describes me, too. Yeah. She looked over during the special. Oh, we're the same. We're the same good boy, aren't we? Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. So that's that's part of it. But another part of it, too. And and this is, I guess, is is me defending myself intellectually on this. Like, it's hard. (laughs) It's harder to be good in video games. You don't get the option of just being like, they're like, would you like this shiny bobble? Then run through four tabs like, no, I I just shot you in the head. And then I took your shiny bobble from you. Like, it's more difficult to play as as a good character. So I historically have done that because I think I have more enriching gameplay experiences. But having said all of that, um, I will say that part of that I do acknowledge is probably the way that I play and the kind of the stubbornness of which I play this game, thinking I can do play it the way that I have historically played Fallout and not playing it the way that perhaps I need to play Fallout, the board game. So there's an element of stubbornness Uh there. But I do know because this is, you know, it annoyed me so much that I went online to like Reddit and BoardGameGeek and other communities. I was like, is this just me or is this in-game frustrating? And there were a whole bunch of people that were like, I have come up with a complicated house rule system that solves all of these problems for the fellow completionists out there. And I was like, you, sir, you're awesome. Thank you for that. So it is definitely a game (laughs) that I, I don't have any I don't have any shame or any misgivings about 
employing a few house rules to make up for some of the gameplay stuff that I'm just like, eh, that's not for me. I can't wait for uh, when I inevitably come to Austin and we just do board game weekend and then uh, fix all the games that we talk about on this show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We'll just come out of this. If nothing else, we'll be like, we'll, we'll have a board game consultancy where our thing is like, does your game kind of suck? We'll make it suck less. <laughs> it, we're like uh, script fixers, but it's just like, does your game have a third act problem? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Does your end game a little wonky? Don't worry. The third act is where we shine. <laughs> end this show do we is it a, uh, a thumbs up thumbs down thing do we recommend yeah i think i think that's probably a good way to do it um and it, because we're talking sort of about adaptation I, I would also like to know and especially because going forward i think you and i have are, are going to be alternating um something a bit more in my wheelhouse maybe a film or television adaptation with something a bit more in your wheelhouse a video game adaptation so I would also love to, to get some insight into how faithfully you think, we've talked about this a little bit more, but like how faithfully you think somebody who is a fan of the franchise would enjoy this because it's such a different experience and because it's such a different medium. Like, do you think somebody who has played all the Fallout games like we have is really going to take to Fallout? Let's start there. Okay. I, I, I think in this case, it is, as I've mentioned, a truly, really, really excellent adaptation of what the gameplay is and and it also isn't great adaptation of the story and how the story has its themes but also how it offers these branching choices uh and and the impacts of those and it is it is fascinating to me how they made it work it is it is a tight game and it it feels like what i was doing in the video game so it it is i was playing this uh at the same time as i was loading up fallout 76 which haven't played a Fallout in a while, so I was having to like relearn some of the controls and how things were working. And it did not feel dissimilar uh, learning those controls again to reading the instructions of how this played. It's just, I understand what Fallout wants from me. I understand the goals and the way that it will play out. Uh, it's just one, uh, one controller versus another, basically. One form of interaction with this. And, and if... If this is a show about talking about how we translate interactions, those cross. It's just a, it's a new format and it's a new language, and but it's 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 all there, and and you're you're saying the same thing. So I think that that's, I think it's wildly good at that. Do you think a fan of Fallout is going to like this? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I can speak for myself. I even the frustrations I have, you know, part of me really really wanted to like that, and so a big chunk of me is very forgiving of the parts of it. I think that. Are a little frustrating from a mechanic standpoint, and I think that's. I, I will. I will offer that up. We are both, as we've said, uh, put many hundreds more hours into this IP than say we're going to put into a movie that we're going to play the board game version of. Correct. It is possible that that you and I, as super fans here, are are letting some things slide. I don't think that much. I think we would be honest with ourselves here, but that, well, let's asterisk that a little bit here in episode one. Yeah, and, and I really do. You see this come up sometimes when people discuss board games, you know, various podcasts and stuff is that idea of do you want to like it? Because wanting to like it really will cover a multitude of sins. Um, because games are complex, they take forever to learn. You know, even when you play it through a couple of times, you're going to spend a long time like fine tuning. If you sit at the board, if you sit Fallout down for a month, like I have in the past, and go pick it back up, like you kind of have to start from scratch. There's a level of uh, intellectual and emotional investment there that 
is a bit different from a plug-and-play video game. So I think people will enjoy the Fallout game not just because it's a faithful adaptation, but because people will sit down wanting to like it. I think that'll make a huge difference in bridging some of the mechanical gaps. And the one thing that I'll say is like, you know, you can bring elements, the stuff that pops in the video game, some of those audio visual cues and stuff like that, you can bring those into the board game too. I'm sure, Brock, that you did like I did. You sat down with the Fallout playlist when you played this game. You did not play this God game. Damn it. <laughs> you did not play this game to silence. You had the ink spots and a bunch of like classic 1940s, you know, top 40 stuff playing in the background to really solidify that feel. And so if you can add, if you can find ways to add those little bits of emergence to, to board games too, like when I play a game like Blood Rage, I always play Norwegian death metal because it just sort of seems fitting to the game that you're playing, a game about Vikings fighting over a space. Like Fallout is one of those games where that music that you play in the background, which is normally an entirely arbitrary choice, is ready for you. It's picked for you. And that that just pushes, if you do have, if you're on the fence a little bit, that little extra titch of immersion just pushes it right over the edge, I think. Uh, it, it wasn't the uh, the playlist. It was the uh, the Fallout Three uh, vinyl box set. Oh, see, yep. Me to to jump up every twenty minutes and go flip the record. So, uh, but yes, everyone loves physical media and being in a physical space. So, yeah. So I think uh, I think at the end of the day, not only would I say that this is good for Fallout fans, but um, I would I would recommend it. I think. I don't think this is something you're going to sit down and play with family members. I actually, um, when my brother and I played it over Thanksgiving break, we sat down and invited my dad to play too. And he, he, he kind of dutifully made his way through, you know, about uh, 45 minutes of it. And then at one point he was very honest. He said, like, I don't know this franchise. I don't understand what these reference points are. And like the mechanics aren't enough to keep me interested. So I'm going to, I'm going to get up. I'm going to go do something else. You guys <laughs> keep playing. And I think that's right. Like, I think it isn't a hundred percent necessary to have, you know, pre-existing knowledge of the franchise or pre-existing knowledge of board games. But this is not, Fallout is not something that I'm going to sit down with like long lost cousins and be like, we have 10 minutes of Christmas. Great. Let's do this. You know, this isn't, this isn't baby's first board game. This is something you pick and choose your group for a little bit. This is, this is, you've perhaps hit on what this format of end of show should be. Would fans enjoy this and would non-fans enjoy this? Uh, And you have had a non-fan experience, which also, this is great that this is the sort of game that if somebody wants to tap the fuck out on, they can just stand up and leave and it does not affect anybody else. Literally uh, changes nothing, yeah. Yeah, we the, uh, our household has a history of uh, people deciding they're done with games, and sometimes that means everyone's done with the game. That is not the case here. I, I do, however, feel like this is... I'm trying to imagine like if I if I played this game and was unfamiliar with the IP or if it just had a different IP but all the same mechanics and I feel like there is such a, a fluidity to it once you get into it that it, like as you mentioned before it's it's rolling and moving and making choices and and things happen and it it's it's all sort of just present and there I feel like if this was called like Wasteland uh, and it was just a box board game that people had I I feel like it would be very easy to get into and that people just inherently know because it's as as we started the episode by saying it just borrows all of the genre stuff of any apocalypse pop culture thing it can get its hands on it's just a th- fallout should be a thing that you just inherently understand i think uh maybe not in your dad's case but i feel like everyone else should other people would be able to get it quickly <laughs> yeah i mean most people you sit down to play this with they're going to have some kind of cultural reference point for it so um as long as they understand post-apocalyptic stuff if they've seen a movie that came out in the last 20 years, 
You know, they might, they, you might be surprised at how well they pick it up. If they've watched Fear the Walking Dead, just be like, oh, it's like Fear the Walking Dead, but you can actually play as a smart zombie, and then they're good. I, I cannot believe you, you just pulled that analogy out. That'll be the tagline for the episode, I think. Oh, I'm so sorry, Fantasy Flight, and um, everybody else involved with this project. That's not, that's not <laughs> how you should build your game. That's our highest recommendation. You're the Fear the Walking Dead of board games. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's a that'll be our that'll be our scale like our in-house scale is zero to fear the walking dead. It's just walking dead to fear the walking dead and nothing yes. in between. Yeah. And we won't even tell you which one is the one we like if we like either. Yeah. I don't know which one I like. Oh wow. Okay, there's a lot there. Uh anyway, uh this has been our first episode of Adapt Table. Uh, please review us. Please share it with friends. Uh, I'm Brock Wilbur, and I'm at on Twitter at Brock Wilbur and at BrockWilbur.com. Uh, where can people find you? I am still Matthew Monagle, as I was at the beginning of the podcast, and hopefully as I will be in the next podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Labsplice. That's L-A-B-S-P-L-I-C-E. Uh, give us some feedback. Don't give us too much feedback because we want to feel like we're doing well. But if you liked what you heard today, seek us out on Twitter, tag us, yell at us a little bit. You know, we are critics professionally, so we're used to people disagreeing with our opinions. You're not gonna, you're not gonna hurt us too much. Uh, I don't know if you can hear that. Uh, it is the. I can't believe we're recording right now. Um, the tornado siren test is going off from for my city right now. So there's just air raid sirens playing as we end the Fallout podcast. Oh my God, this is incredible. <laughs> well, that's super appropriate. Uh, Brock, go to your nearest Fallout shelter and I'll see you in about 700 years. All right, thank you guys for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.